Hello, and welcome to the Landis Cooperative Experience podcast featuring the bull bear banter. We all know that markets often behave in a way that can't easily be explained. The bull bear banter is our best effort to digest the noise of the marketplace. So thank you for joining us. Sit back, relax, and let's talk about the markets. Hello, this is Tom Guinan, and I'd like to welcome you to the November 13th episode of the Bull Bear Banter. Cheyenne Dunham won't be able to join us this week, so I'll update this week's market. December corn was up two and a quarter today, closing at 410 and a quarter, and that is up three and a half for the week. March corn futures ended at 419 and a half, up one and a quarter today, and gaining almost six week on week. January beans gained two and a half today to end at 1148, but that is up 46 and a half for the week. March soybean futures also ended at 11.48 today, up three and a quarter, and that's up more than 48 this week. Please note that November 2021 futures closed just above 10.40 today, or more than a dollar less than the January and March futures. The big story this week is the WASDE report that was issued on Tuesday morning. With cuts to yield, production, and ending stocks for both corn and soybeans, we had some fireworks Tuesday after the report. December corn futures were more than 20 cents higher from Monday's close to the high on Wednesday before collapsing later on Wednesday and into Thursday. Soybeans also rallied after the report, with January futures gaining more than 35 cents on Tuesday. They added another few cents by the close on Wednesday, but at one point during Wednesday's session were up by more than 50 cents compared to Monday's close. We'll dig into the specifics as we enter into the bull bear factors. As far as bull factors for corn, As I mentioned earlier, the ending stocks estimate for 2020-21 was reduced and is now at 1.702 billion bushels. Last year, we ended with 1.995 billion, and there are some in the trade that think this number will continue to be shaved, perhaps eventually getting to 1.5 billion. Not only did they reduce production, they also increased demand. We're now looking at total production of 14.5 billion bushels based on a national yield of 175.8. So, in effect, they drop yield about 2.5 bushels, moving more than 200 million out of production. Export demand was increased by 325 million bushels. They're now using 2.65 billion for the yearly total. That number is now about 150% of the 1.778 billion the U.S. exported last year. The USDA also increased Chinese corn demand to 13 million metric tons, which almost doubled their initial 7 million metric tons, but it lags what many in the industry expect. In fact, the USDA's own attaché is using 22 million metric tons this year, or three times that original number. To put it into just a little more perspective, 22 million metric tons equals about 866 million bushels, or roughly the difference between the current USDA corn export estimate and last year's total exports. If realized, that's a lot of corn for China in one year. Export inspections dropped a little last week to 27.2 million bushels, down 2 million from the previous week. Last year, during the same week, we were just getting a good start on exports as they were 22.9 million that week. Cumulative exports now stand at 298 million bushels. As far as bear factors for corn, U.S. harvested acres were estimated at 91% versus 82% last week and 80% on average as of Sunday. Iowa was 94% complete, Illinois 95% done, Nebraska and Minnesota were both 93% and Indiana at 86% done. All of these continue to be ahead of their five-year averages. It sure feels like we're about done for the year. Maybe we'll look at this one more week. Brazilian first crop corn plantings hit 73%, which is slightly behind last year's pace of 76%, but just above their average pace of 72%. Export sales dropped hard this week, with only 38.5 million bushels sold. This is about half 
of the bottom end of the range of estimates by traders who expected somewhere between 78 and 98 million bushels. U.S. ethanol production improved again last week to 287 million gallons, up another 4 million gallons from the previous week. This is now the highest level in 33 weeks, which takes us back to late March. However, it's still about 5% below that same time last year. Ethanol stocks did jump significantly last week to 847 million gallons, or about 20 million more than the previous week. This is also the highest level in 12 weeks. Gasoline demand did improve some last week, adding about 425,000 barrels per day. However, this is still 6% below the same week of last year. And yes, I know there is reason for optimism this week with the announcement of a potential breakthrough for vaccines, but it still sounds like that could be several months from now for most U.S. citizens. Unless and until the country returns to whatever normal becomes, we're going to keep an eye on this gasoline demand and ethanol production. Crude oil futures bounced higher on Monday with news of the potential vaccine, but ended the week on a down note and close to $40 per barrel. As far as soybean bull factors, the WASD was all about changes to the supply side with yield reduced to 50.7 bushels per acre, dropping production by almost 100 million, which pushed ending stocks down 100 million to 190 million. This is a very tight ending stocks number and would represent about a 4.2% stocks to use ratio. Keep in mind that this is where they expect the U.S. to be at the end of August, while harvest in this part of the country doesn't normally start until about a month later. We could see a pretty big cash spread between the early harvested soybeans and whatever it is normal harvest time frame. I wonder if that will lead to more sales of short season soybeans next spring. Export inspections jumped last week to 91.7 million bushels. That's the second largest this year and well above an already strong number for the previous week. The cumulative number is now 715 million bushels versus about 400 million at this point last year. Export sales were also near the top end of expectations at about 54 million bushels, which is down slightly from the previous week's 56.2 million. This also marks a new marketing year low, but total commitments to all destinations now stand at 1.833 billion, or more than double this time last year, and well over 1 million more bushels than then. Soybean planting in Brazil improved last week to 54%, up from 35% previously, and now ahead of their average of 52%, but still behind that pace of 65% last year. This week, there have been quite a few stories about various vegetable oils. Palm oil in Malaysia is in short supply. Canola oil in Rotterdam spiked to a multi-year high on short supplies. In the Ukraine and Russia, there are new export restrictions on sunflower oil, again due to tight supplies. Soy oil gained another $0.02 cents a pound this week. Keep in mind, that's the equivalent of $40 per ton. Soybean meal added another $4 a ton this week, climbing to around $389 a ton. There really aren't a whole lot of bear factors for beans this week, but harvested acres were estimated at 92% nationally at the end of last week, up from 87% the previous week, and just beating the five-year average of 90%. Iowa hit 98%, North Dakota is 100% done, Minnesota remained at 99%, Illinois is 96% and Indiana is 93% complete. So for all intents and purposes, let's call soybean harvest done. I'm going to continue to highlight the inverse in soybean futures as well as cash prices. Several of our facilities were able to get to $11 or more for nearby soybeans at some point this week. We've had many offers fill at that level too. That nearby cash price continues to be anywhere from 10 to 15 cents above prices for February through July. I continue to believe that this is a selling opportunity for soybeans. Just take a few chips off the table every so often. 
And if you get a chance to sell $9.75 or $10 for next harvest, I suggest you sell a few loads or more at that time too. As far as what to watch for in upcoming events, the Landis Annual Meeting will take place in early December, but has now been moved to a virtual meeting. Details on the date, time, and registration process will be announced later. We've also had to cancel our Women in Ag Meeting, Ventures, for this year. In lieu of this annual event, we are going to be promoting and encouraging attendance for Iowa State's Women in Ag Leadership Conference that will be held virtually on November 30th and December 1st. We will have information available on our website about this or just check out the Iowa State Extension website for complete details. Both of these were tough decisions, but with COVID spiking in the state, it certainly appears to be the prudent thing. While we all enjoy the face-to-face -face aspect of meetings like this and being able to talk to one another in person, we're just going to have to forego those this year. And now for Tom's take. This week I've been thinking a lot about elephants. I know that sounds a little weird, but let me explain. For years, I've kept a picture on the bulletin board near my desk. In this picture, there is a person riding an elephant. Can you visualize something like that? Now, don't close your eyes if you're driving or operating heavy machinery, but if you think about it, I'm sure you've seen something similar. When I look at that picture, I think of one question. Who's in charge? What do you think? We want to believe that the person on top of the elephant is in charge, and under normal situations, that's the case. The elephant, if properly trained, obeys the commands. But what do you think happens when the elephant is under undue stress? Who do you think is in charge then? Definitely the elephant. I've been thinking about that in relationship to this bull market we've been riding lately. For now, it kind of feels like we've got this thing under control. And as long as the bull keeps moving forward, we're fine. I'm more concerned about when the bull elephant gets spooked. Does it run for cover? Does it charge lower and perhaps further than it should? What about you? Are you in control of your grain marketing, or are you just along for the ride? Now, I've never ridden an elephant, but I once read a story about a person that did. He said that to get on the elephant, he had to climb up a wooden ladder, and while it was a bit scary, he said it really wasn't that bad. But when it came time to climb down, he noticed a little note at the top of the ladder that said, Rules for dismounting. Compose your mind. Much easier to get on than to get off. I've also heard that if you get off incorrectly, it can be very quick and very painful. Imagine dropping from the top of that ladder. Now, go look at a chart of corn or soybeans and ask yourself, how far can you afford to fall from these heights? And while I'm thinking about elephants, let's talk about the elephant in the room. My co-host for this podcast will no longer be joining me during these times as she is no longer working for Landis. I'll miss her, and I'm sure that many of you will too. I've thought a lot about Cheyenne the past few days and about her ability to clearly articulate what's going on in the market. And since she has a master's in ag econ, I had to sometimes ask her, what does this mean exactly and how should I think about or talk about certain things that are happening in the market? I've gotten to know Cheyenne well over the past four years and I'll miss her steadiness. She's also become someone that others look up to as a good example for women in ag. I remember one woman saying that just hearing Cheyenne's voice on the podcast helped her to find her own voice. I also remember about a year or so ago when a little girl about four years old asked her mother if they could go meet Cheyenne because the two of them listened to the podcast together every week. So they contacted us and came to the office and the little girl asked if she could have Cheyenne's autograph. The mother told us that she looked to Cheyenne as an example of intelligence and education for young women in an industry fairly well dominated by men and how that was making a positive impact on her daughter. So Cheyenne, we'll miss you, and we wish you nothing but the best in everything you do. In closing, 
I appreciate you joining us for the Bull Bear Banter. If you'd like to contact us, you can send a tweet to at Landis Co-op or drop an email to podcast at LandisCooperative.com. Our tagline is, bears make money, bulls make money, and pigs just go to market. If you have any questions regarding grain marketing decisions, please reach out to your area grain marketing advisor. Thanks for listening. I'll be back with you next week. Mm-hmm.